Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. All right, all right. Well, happy Father's Day to all of the men. And we just want to say that today is your day, and we honor you, and we're so grateful that you are here, and we have the opportunity to speak life and words of encouragement to each and every dad, every grandfather. So can we give them one more round of applause today? And welcome. We honor you great men. Well, guess who I have sitting beside me? I uh, was pleasantly surprised by my son, Luke, who flew in to be with me for Father's Day. So, man, I'm just like so excited. And, I'm not uh, a father, but... Yes, you're not a father, at least not I'm aware of. So, anyway. Anyway, yes, keep that clear there. But, no, I am uh, super excited that Luke uh, flew in. Today is kind of an unusual day in our household Uh, Because today also happens to be my wife Michelle's birthday. And so this is the first time that I recall in 32 years that we have not been together in person to celebrate her birthday or even a Father's Day celebration. So uh, she is in Dallas with our other two daughters uh, being a part of a big baby shower that they have the opportunity to be a part of. Because I'm going to be a grandpa, better known as Pops. So... uh, Anyway, we're super excited, and, uh, but Luke knew I was going to be here flying solo, and he said, I'm going to go home and be with Dad. So we are so thankful that Luke could come and be a part of our uh, day. And, uh, and so when I learned that he was going to be here with us today, I asked Luke, I said, Luke, would you be willing to be a part of the service? And uh, so after a little finagling, twisting his arm, because normally I would ask him to sing. So I uh, didn't want to put any pressure on him there. And so today we're going to add a little bit of a unique twist because I think that uh, one of the topics that we're going to be talking about today is something that he and I talk a lot about. And just in father-son conversations, and it's interesting that it happened to fall on today as we are continuing with this series called You Ask For It. And uh, so Luke is single, by the way. So taking resumes. Let me know. <laughs> so we don't have a text number you can call or uh, text in on that one yet, okay? I'll be in the back after but, the service. <laughs> so anyway, but I am, uh, I'm proud of the, um, just the fact that I get to be up here with my son, my one and only. And uh, so anyway, couldn't be a better Father's Day gift than that. Well, I want to just take a little bit, as Robert emphasized, uh, who, by the way, this is his first Father's Day, and um, so special, special day all the way around. But one of the things that um, we really wanted to do today in keeping with the whole asking theme that we've been doing during this series called You Ask For It, obviously you have been submitting questions, and the questions have been amazing. And I want to encourage you, to. this will be kind of like your last week to submit questions because, as Robert emphasized, next Sunday will be our last um, um, t- time to be able to answer a lot, of this que- a lot of the questions. So you can go to RTL, ask, 
uh, text to the number 97,000, or you can jot it there on your note section and drop in the offering uh, at the end of our service. But we'd love to hear from you, and we want to answer questions that you're asking, things that are on your heart. But I thought today, being it's Father's Day, I thought it would be great if we could kind of put a little twist on the asking aspect and really kind of put it back on us as men, as dads. And really, I think it's applicable for all of us. I think these are critical questions that we all need to think about, especially personalizing these as relates to questions that we need to ask ourselves so that we can have clarity about some very important, I think, foundational areas of our lives. And I want to read something to you in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Many of you recall this particular situation, and Jesus asked a question. And here's what he proposed. It says in verse 13 in Matthew chapter 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is amazing, standing right there, we'll be standing there again for those that are going to be going with us to Israel in November, when there's still time for that, but I want to encourage you to walk the places where Jesus walked. This moment, in this situation, these circumstances, this physical location, it just brings all of this to light. And here's what's powerful. It says, Jesus said, Who do people say the Son of Man is? So Jesus is asking the question to his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, notice, you are blessed. In other words, when we are able to clarify and really have a clear sense of understanding as to who Christ is and understanding who we are and understanding whose we are in Jesus Christ, there's a blessing, I believe, that comes with that. It says, you are blessed, son Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. There's a divine revelation that he received. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be for, forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. You say, what does all that mean? Let me just summarize it as we set this tone for what we're going to be really talking about today. Jesus wanted to know if his disciples really had clarity as to who he was. And the reason why that was so important is because he didn't want them to get confused or he didn't want them to buy into popular opinion or what others said or what others thought. He wanted them to know in their heart of hearts to have crystal clear clarity as it related to who he was because more importantly, he wanted them to be able to own their faith, to have complete confidence and trust that he truly was the son of the living God. And with that, when we as individuals, as believers, especially as dads, I think it's so important that not only that we understand who Christ is, and we understand who we are in Christ, 
But when we begin to ask some clarifying questions about who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ, it changes everything. And just like it changed Peter's life, and just like it has changed all of our lives because of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rock that God used to build his church upon, let me tell you something. It has profound implications on our lives because today we're talking about eternity. And I think there's some clarifying questions that we can answer and that we can take an eternal look at when it comes to understanding who we truly are as individuals, as followers of Christ. And as dads, as men, I think it's important that we have clarity about some things in our own hearts and lives. So with all that said, I've invited my son Luke to help answer, excuse me, not answer, ask, <laughs> to ask some questions that I think are important. Five specific questions that I think every dad, every man, and to be just to put it out there, I believe every individual needs to ask. And I think it will help clarify some things. So let's get started. Luke, you ready? Yeah. Well, I think the, uh, the first question is a really important question. I've, as you know, you're my father. I moved to Nashville and I live alone. And uh, something that I've been trying to figure out, I've tried a lot of different things, I've met a lot of people, but I still struggle with this. Uh, and the question is, what or who makes you happy? Yeah. I think that's an important question and a very foundational question because I think the whole world is searching for happiness. Everybody is looking for something or looking maybe to someone that will maybe meet a need, fill a void, and ultimately, from their perspective, make them happy. And I think it's one of the traps that a lot of people fall into because they're looking maybe to the wrong people, the wrong places, the wrong situation or circumstances or the wrong things that somehow, some way, they will associate or equate with happiness. But the problem with looking for this endless search for a sense of happiness, the problem with this quest of happiness is that happiness is fleeting. Happiness comes and it goes. Happiness is circumstantial. That's basically the root meaning of the word happiness. It's happenstance. And so when you think about the circumstances of life, obviously when things are going well, then we're happy, right? But when things aren't going so well, then we're not so happy. And so it's this, it's this roller coaster experience that I think a lot of people struggle with. I think men especially struggle with this because it's often said, you know, sometimes we have this what's called a destination disease. It's that when and then thinking. It's kind of like, well, when I get to this place or when I arrive at that, it, you know, that, that area of my life or this, when I arrive at that pinnacle of success, then I'll be happy. But the problem is, is that sometimes that never fulfills itself, or sometimes if we get to the top that we think is going to make us happy, happy we, we get to that destination that we, that we work so hard, and oftentimes maybe there are casualties in the process. It could be a family or a marriage or whatever the situation may be, because we were so bent on reaching the destination that once we get there, suddenly we're disillusioned with, well, that's not what I thought it was going to be. And so I think it's important because it goes back, again, to the clarifying questions. And the two most important questions I think we need to really stop and evaluate as it relates to our overall happiness is who am I living for and what am I living for? 
Because am I living for myself or am I living for others? Am I living ultimately for God, for Jesus? And then what am I living for? You know, am I I living for the temporal or the eternal? The things that are going to really last and matter at the end of the day. So I think these are important. But here's the issue that I think we all struggle with, especially as men. It's been said that there are really four killjoys when it comes to happiness. There's going to be pain in our lives that robs us from happiness. There are obviously going to be people that let us down, disappoint us, that rob us from our happiness. There's going to be pressure in our lives that can zap the joy or the happiness from our lives. And there's going to be endless problems along the way. So when you think about pain and people and pressure and problems, we all encounter those things. And at the end of the day, if we allow those things, those situations or circumstances to rob us from our joy, then what ultimately makes us happy? So when you think about it, happiness is not found in a destination. It's not found in how successful we might be as far as the world standard of success is concerned. Nor is it really found in people because people are always going to let us down. Our ultimate happiness and real joy is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he and he alone is the one who fills us. He and he alone is the one who will never forsake us or abandon us. He and he alone is the one who meets every need that we have according to his glorious riches that are found in Jesus. And so no matter what kind of pain or problems or pressures or people, you know, the enemy wants to use to rob us from our joy... He said these words, Jesus said in John 15, verse 5. He said, I am the vine and you're the branches. And those who remain in me, those who continue in my word, those who walk in fellowship with me, those who stay connected with me. He said, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he said, I've told you these things. In other words, I'm sharing this practical truth and understanding with you so that you're so that you may be filled with joy, and yes, your joy will overflow. So I think when it comes to this question, Luke, that you asked, I think it's so important, it's foundational. And again, it's a clarifying question of who and what makes me happy. At the end of the day, there's only one person who can ultimately satisfy, that can bring overflowing joy to our lives, and it comes through a personal, intimate relationship with the Son of God. And his name is Jesus. That's it. That's really the key. So I know for many of us in this room, we know that we might understand that. But it's hard to truly walk that out in our everyday situation. Why? Because of pain, because of people, because of problems. And really because of the pressures that the enemy uses on a daily basis to suck the life and to suck the joy out of our lives. So that's really, I think, a foundational question that is really important for especially dads, men, to really get a grasp on and to get clarity on so that becomes the center point of our lives. Well, uh, I think this next question is, it's somewhat related Mm -hmm. to it, but um, in my life, I've, I've tried to to figure out priorities and in my daily life and also in my goals um, 
and I'm, I'm pursuing a, a career in music, um, and so I'm, I have to make decisions that are very strategic in order for me to get where I'm trying to go. But I, I think the, the thing that needs to be constant is, in my mind, what is most important to me. So what, what is most important to you in your life? And that's a, another huge foundational question is what is most important to all of us? If somebody were to ask you on the street, what makes you tick? What's most important to you? And as we just clarified and emphasized foundationally, you know, I think obviously a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is so important. But somebody said something many, many years ago that I thought was so helpful for me. Because I think what happens, even as Christians, we fall into a trap of compartmentalizing our lives where it's like I have my career, I have my family, you know, I have maybe my physical health and well-being, you know, I have my financial world over here, I have my friendships over here, I have all these different, kind of like the spokes on a wheel, I have all these different compartments or these different areas of my life. And we sometimes maybe set aside or designate one area of our life to be our faith, to be our, you know, our, our time that we, you know, commit to God. And what somebody said many years ago that helped me, that really kind of put this in perspective that answers this question is, Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. He wants, he doesn't want just to be a Sunday morning Jesus to you. He wants to be a 24-7. He wants that abiding fellowship, that abiding walk, that abiding friendship, that abiding presence. He wants that continual connection, communication, and relationship, that fellowship. He wants that intimate relationship. So that is what ultimately is most important to me, and I think it really should be something that men in all of us really wrestle with in our hearts to ask ourselves the question, what is most important to me? And the reason why is because whatever that is, will be reflected by the choices you make through the priorities that you choose to implement into your life. And so Jesus said it best in Matthew six thirty three. He said, but seek first, not all these other areas, even though they might be important, but he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said, and then all those other things will fall into place. I'll take care of the details as long as you put me first in your life. And I think that's really important. And um, so for me, you know, one of the things that I've thought long and hard about as it relates to this, and I would encourage, you know, all of us, and specifically, you know, men and dads today, maybe you just want to jot these things down, but I think there are really a number of different things that we can think about in terms of prioritizing. And I know for me, this is true. Number one is my faith. And so I think it's just important that we prioritize by putting Jesus first and prioritize any and all things related to making sure that Jesus is first and central. He's not just a part. He is everything in my life. Number two is my relationships. So my relationship, obviously in my case with my wife, Michelle, she comes first even before my kids. And so my relationship with her, my relationship with my three children, with my son Luke, my relationships with other people, because I think our relationships our friendships, who we choose to spend our time with, who we associate with, 
make us or break us. And they either, they either become a distraction to us or they become a part of our destiny. And I think it's just important that we realize just how powerful friendships are. And then my values, you know, because the reason why values are so important is because our priorities are a result of our values. Our priorities come from what is ultimately most important to us. They're rooted in our values. And then lastly would be really our calling. And I think it's important that we realize when it comes to the calling that God has on our lives, it's not just talking about, a lot of times people confuse this whole issue of calling, that, oh, that's something reserved for, you know, preachers or people in the ministry. It has nothing to do with it. We're all, as my dad used to say, we can't all be preachers, but we have been all called to be reachers. And so whether you're reaching people in the corporate scene athletic scene, entertainment scene, whatever scene that is, you're, you are called to be a reacher. But here's, here's the thing that's so important. We're called and we are chosen by God. I love this verse of 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. It says it this way. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So, we're, so he saved us, he's called us, he's graced us, and he's purposed us. So I like to say it this way. When we understand the who first, then the do falls into place. So it's who before do. In other words, when I am walking in the holiness of God because of who I am in him, because I've been saved and I've been graced by the grace of God in that way, then that holiness can overflow into the things I do. So I'm called, first and foremost, as a follower of Jesus. I'm called, and first, first and foremost, to be a godly husband and a godly father. God has called me, but that's, that's who I am. And because that's who I am, it overflows into what I do. And I think that's important when it comes to just clarifying what is most important to us. That way we can prioritize those things in our lives. So, think who before do. Because when you get the who right, the do will fall into place. Those priorities will uh, be aligned with those important values that, that reflect who you truly are and what's most important. Something that I uh, have always done and continue to do is dream. And... Um, Sometimes it, it can take up my entire day. I might be on the computer working, but in reality, and I think one thing is you can dream, uh, but you still got to do it. Like you can dream of something, but you got to get there somehow. So what what is your dream and what does that look like? Well, I think it's, I think it's also important for all of us to have a dream in our hearts you know, your dream is different than mine. Mine is different than, than yours. And we all have to have a dream, um, a vision, some might say, a picture of what could be, of what should be. What does the future look like? We may not know exactly in full detail as to how, you know, it might take shape, but at least we have a picture in our heart and our mind. 
And I think God gives us those visions. He gives us those kinds of dreams. And it might be a dream to, you know, start your own business, or it might be a dream to, you know, be in the medical community. It might be a dream of, you know, or a vision that you have to, you know, do something, you know, in the form of a nonprofit to help, you know, meet whatever need. I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do and those pursuits that we can, you know, we can dream about and, and, and work hard towards achieving. But I think it's important that we have something in our hearts that compels us. And I heard someone say that a dream or a vision will really accomplish multiple things. It will give us a sense of direction. It will give us a sense of um, passion. It gives us a sense of uh, purpose. And it serves as this constant motivation because it it helps kind of move us forward. And so I think we need that in our personal lives. I think we need that in our marriage. I think we need that in our family. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. So if we don't have a dream or a vision in our heart, then our hopes die, our dreams die, our, our, our marriage could die, our family relationships could not end up being with God intended for them to be. We might fall short because we've lost sight. We've lost a dream that God has placed in our hearts. And so I love what John Maxwell says. He said, a person who has a dream knows what he's willing to give up in order to go up. And I think sometimes many of us, you know, have something that we want to achieve and maybe who we want to become along the way. But sometimes we have to let go of whatever fears or whatever obstacles or stumbling blocks that maybe people or maybe even the enemy is using to hold you back. So we have to be willing to let go of those in order for us to go to higher heights and, you know, put whatever it is into action that we feel called to do. So I think that's really, really important. And I think, too, that's really um, important to keep in mind is... We can get so fixated, once again, on the destination of seeing the dream become realized that we miss out on enjoying the journey along the way. And that's where we see a lot of times people who may have achieved success on a financial level, you know, in a corporate level, you know, on on reaching all their goals. They've reached the success, that pinnacle, so to speak, of fulfilling their dream But unfortunately, they didn't enjoy life along the way. Their marriage suffered. They didn't maybe have the relationships with their kids that they should have or could have or hoped to have had. And so, or they're just miserable, once again, because of the people, the problems, the pressure, you know, the pain that sometimes we endure along the way. So we have to also, in reaching for the dream or the vision that we have, remember to enjoy the journey along the way. And I think that's important. Well, I have a follow-up question to that. Um, something that I, I, I dream, and then I think of, uh, I, I go and do that dream, but something that I struggle with is like celebrating the success or celebrating the win, because I, I don't really feel like I accomplished it in a way, or I've, I'm trying to understand, how, like how do you define a win or how do you define success? From, from the dream, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Because 
you know, it's what Jesus said. What, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So what good does it do to, again, have worldly success? You could win multiple Grammy Awards. I'll take them. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. You could win a Super Bowl. You know, you could whatever. You know, you could, you know, take over whatever company or whatever, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, what good does it do and what real joy is there to achieve the so-called success that the world often measures as success and yet lose so much along the way? And so nothing wrong with success, so please don't misunderstand or get any kind of vibe that I'm saying that you shouldn't be successful. Nothing wrong with success at all. But what I'm saying is, is that if we forfeit so many other things along the way in order to get there, then really once we get there is not a whole lot worth celebrating. So I like to define success like this to kind of put it back in perspective. Because, and I think it's important that we celebrate. We need to celebrate, in a, you know, every little milestone, every, every win, every success along the way in the journey. We need to pause and reflect and celebrate and give God thanks. Thanking him, saying, God, this is your dream that you've put in my heart, and I want to honor you with this. And so we honor him along the way, and we celebrate along the way. But at the end of the day, if we achieve all these things... And again, we forfeit our soul over not what we could have been or should have been in terms of our relationship with Christ and others. Then here's a new definition to maybe rethink when it comes to defining success. And it goes like this. Those who know me best love and respect me the most. So I want more than anything, I want you and I want your mom and I want your two sisters, I want them to know me and respect me because of the way that I've lived my life, not on how big our church is or what I've accomplished in the world, because in my opinion, that really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that when you all, and prayerfully I go before all of you, But one day, you'll be able to say, this is the man that I knew as my father. This was the man that I admired and looked up to because he was a godly and faithful husband to my mom for over 32 years. I don't really care as to whether we have material things or whether or not, you know, we were successful by other people's standards that they measure as success. I want those who know me the best to love and respect me the most. To me, that's the ultimate definition of success. That's how you define the ultimate win. Well, I I think, uh, I think there's, there's a question in all of us that as, as we dream of the things that we want to do with our life and, and in our daily life, what we do daily, the, the question that I have is, what do you want to be known for after you're gone? Because the, you, we, you have a line of people that have come before you. Maybe you don't know what they did with their life because they lived 3,000 years ago. 
but there's there's going to be people that come after you that want to learn about you and and the people around us in the church what what do you want to be known for in your life well that's another foundational question that's a big question and you know so think about this for a moment as men as dads what's our legacy i think that's maybe the question of you know kind of like what what is the legacy so to speak that we really want to leave and i think sometimes again our world puts so much focus around things and accomplishments and all the trappings that go along with worldly success but and we've talked about this before and this is something that's important to us you know as you know you know as me and mom as your parents is that legacy and this has been instilled generationally you know from your grandfather on Michelle's mom's side and you know obviously my dad um, but legacy is not something you leave for your kids it's something you leave in your kids and I think you know when we think of legacy we're thinking about you know uh, the beach house or the condo in the mountains or you know whatever I'll take it <laughs> Don't count that out for me. Come on. Well, well, too bad you don't have any of those things. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we've tried to leave something in you. And, um, but that's been really our, our goal and pursuit is what are the intangibles that will truly last generationally? And I just think that, you know, sometimes we get it all wrong because, again, we have so much influence that... Um, puts pressure on us from the outside world, our culture, because of the way the culture defines success in so many ways. But when, when it comes to what will be our legacy, legacy really is a choice. We get to choose that. And I think we were talking about this yesterday, that sometimes when you think about legacy and you think about, you know, maybe how we were raised and maybe who our parents were and you know, what kind of home we came from or what kind of environment we were raised in, well, it may not have been a Christian home. We may not have had godly parents. We may not have had a strong spiritual influence in our lives. And so it's easy sometimes to, I think, embrace the idea or the mentality of, well, this is just the way it is. These are the cards that I've been dealt, and this is about as good as it's going to be because this is, this is just who I am. It's been passed on to me. Well, I think it's important that if we maybe can relate to that from the standpoint of maybe being a part of somewhat of a dysfunctional uh, or unhealthy childhood or family lineage in your life or heritage. Why not be the first one to break that cycle of dysfunction? Why not be the first one so that you can ultimately choose that from this day moving forward, I'm going to make a choice to the kind of legacy I want to live moving forward. And I think Psalm 78 is a great passage of Scripture that has served as a motivation, I know, for me. And it talks about um, telling the stories of old, of how, you know, God has moved, the, mirac the miracles, the miraculous things that God has done. And that generation that experiences those and witnesses those can pass them down to their children and to their children's children, down to the fourth generation. And so again, it's what we leave in each other more so than what we leave for each other. And I think it's important that we realize that there are some things that we can leave behind as far as the intangibles. Things like our convictions, 
our character, our communication, how we talk, how we speak um, towards one another. And, and I think even just the confidence, you know, that we talk a lot about. I love this verse of Scripture in Proverbs 14, verse 26. It says, confidence and strength flood the hearts of the lovers of God who live in awe of him and their devotion provides their children with a place of shelter and security. So think about that for a moment. I just want, for me, and I, and I think this would be true of any father, any, any person in here today, to know that we left a mark generationally that our legacy will be known and will be lived out from those who come behind me because of the foundation spiritually that we were able to mark their lives with. It's been said that we, um, when it comes to uh, things such as, you know, overall success in life, I think one of the, the greatest challenges is, is that how do we reproduce? And, well, it's been said that we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. So how can we reproduce who Christ is in us to the next generation and beyond? But before you move on, can I, I, I think a, a great example, none of us would be in this room today if it weren't for Freddie Gage, your father. And he, he did not come from a Christian family. He, he was the first generation. He started, there was a legacy before him, but he, he changed the legacy. Right. And I think that's a great example of making a choice to change. Yes, absolutely. Many of you may have heard um, in the past, and we'll wrap this up with this, because I think this underscores what you're talking about. My dad uh, was born in a very dysfunctional home, uh, home of an alcoholic. Um, he was raised by my grandfather in the back of a barn, excuse me, the back of a bar, and my dad had a 19-page rep uh, police report on him by the time he was 19 years old. He was a gang, uh, street gang leader in the city of Houston, Texas. Um, he married my mom on her 15th birthday. He was 17. And both of them got radically saved. My mom was an only child. She knew six different men in her life that she referred to as her father. And so if anybody was set up for failure, it was my parents. And yet Jesus radically changed their lives. And the night they both got saved my mom had already filed for divorce and God restored their marriage, healed their marriage and changed their lives. And today, um, my mom and my dad who are now with the Lord have four sons who are all preachers of the gospel. And Michelle's dad passed away is also at home with the Lord has four incredible daughters, all four love Jesus. And now seeing the grandchildren and even great-grandchildren who are all following in, in that pursuit of not what they left for us, but what they left in us. These are just defining questions. They really are. 
And I think that's why Jesus, going back to what we began with, when he positioned his disciples with that question, who do you say that I am? Because he didn't want them to guess. He didn't want them to be confused or be persuaded or swayed by what others would think or say. But they had clarity in their heart. They knew and understood. And they owned their faith for themselves as true followers of his. Because he wanted to leave something in them that would forever change their destiny. And that's our prayer for you. That's our prayer for every person, every dad in this place today, on this Father's Day. So Luke, those questions that you asked are crucial questions. Things that I think can be defining moments that will help us in our lives ultimately reflect who Jesus is to us and what's most important to us. So on this Father's Day, by the way, Luke, thank you for being my side Happy Father's today. Day. <laughs> I couldn't be more proud. my son my two incredible daughters and for the opportunity to be able to share the hope that we all have in Jesus to a hurting world that's our heart that's who we are and that's all that we desire is that our world can know and can be impacted with the life-changing message and the hope that's found in Jesus. Let's bow our heads together in prayer today. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just, on this Father's Day, I'm just so incredibly thankful for every man, every dad who's in this place today for who they are, for the role that they play we all have different situations different circumstances many have gone through pain regrets some I know in this room if they had it all over to do again they would do some things different I know many of us in this room, if we could go and just somehow erase the past, get rid of the past, push, redo, restart. There's so many situations that represent all of us in this place. But I just pray that today, that we'll just fall back in love with Jesus. And we'll allow Jesus to put the pieces back together. We'll allow Jesus to overflow into our lives and through our lives so that those who know us best love and respect us the most because of who we are in Christ and because of our life 
committed to living for an audience of one, to please and to honor the Lord. And even though sometimes we don't always get it right, sometimes we make mistakes and we stumble along the way, God, thank you that you have saved us, you have graced us, you have called us. And we thank you for that. That we have the distinct privilege of being your sons and your daughters. And if there are those here today, on this Father's Day, who have never made peace between you and God, your heavenly Father, can I invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life? It's the same question that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Is he Lord? And if he's not, would you be willing to pray this prayer? And invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Say, dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I turn from my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose again. And by faith, I invite you into my life to forgive me, to save me, and to change me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul today. If you happen to have prayed that prayer in your heart for the very first time, would you let me know whether you're in the room, in person, or maybe online? Would you just let me know? Would you hold up your hand if you're in the room today? Just say, hey, count me in on this Father's Day. I just made peace between me and my Heavenly Father today. Anybody else? Just say, count me in. Count me in. I just prayed that prayer. It's awesome. Father, we thank you for these who lifted their hands, those who have, Lord, who have just today have just pushed restart, who have maybe refreshed some things in their life spiritually. And I pray, Father, for all of us, both men and women alike, young people in this room, God, that we will all think about these important questions. And Lord, may they help define us and shape us. May they help put us on the path, God, that will ultimately live a life that is fully pleasing to you. God, we love you. We celebrate you. And may these questions today guide us in such a way that will influence generations to come. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come on. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.